You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org. If you have your Bibles, we're in Ecclesiastes. That's after Proverbs. Uh, go to Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're going to read a verse from chapter 2, and then we're going to walk through a few different places in Ecclesiastes. But before we get started, before we read our text, I want you to think about just this week at how many different places you went to try to get information. Like maybe you have certain patterns uh, just of your normal day. Like you wake up, what's the first place you go to to get information? Maybe for you, it's like phone alarm goes off, you pick it up, you open it. What's the first app you hit on your phone? Is it like the Bible app? You're like, well, I wish it was, but... Or is it like the email app? Then you go through like information. I I need to know what I need to know. Or maybe you pull out your phone and it's the news app because I know stuff happened last night that I don't know about this morning. And so all those alerts, you go through, you read the headlines because you want to be informed. You want to know things. Maybe you open up a social media app. Maybe you go to Twitter. Let's see what everybody's saying about everything. And you sort of scroll through. Or maybe Facebook. What did my friends do last night? What did people, did anybody vacation last night somewhere that I need to know about? Like where are the places that you go all throughout the week to get information? And I think what you'll notice is, wow, I actually go to a lot of places to get information. And perhaps you read a book this week Perhaps you went to a meeting to get some information, whether you had to be there or wanted to be there, somebody made you be there. But we have these different places we go for information. How many of you, by show of hands, Googled something this week? Anybody? (laughs) Did anybody not Google anything this week? That'd be like a better question, right? You're like, uh, nope. Uh, We, so... The point is we all seek information. We all seek wisdom. We all want to be in the know. We want to um, just gain uh, perspective. We want to know what's happening. We don't want to be left out. Maybe like a big thing is happening and we don't know about it. We're going to be around somebody that's going to know about it and we don't know about it. We, we want information. We want wisdom. We are people that seek to know. That's part of what it means to be human. We are knowledge seekers. But what if you actually knew it all? Like, not just you think you know it all, but you actually knew it all. What if you really got to the place where you, you knew everything? You're the smartest person in every room that you walked into. You had all the information. You, somebody could ask you, you, you give them all the wisdom. Like, you're the person everyone runs to that you actually, you sort of arrived. You became the smartest person. Would that make you happier? Would that solve the problems in your life if you could just figure out everything about life? Well, we're going to look at a guy who's writing Ecclesiastes. I think it's Solomon. And we're going to see him who he's a wise guy, like one of the wisest, if not the wisest men, apart from Jesus, to live. And he's going to conclude that actually the more I know, the more sorrow I have. Like, the smarter I get, the more life seems to just not make sense. And so more information led him to despair, not to what he thought it would lead him to. So let's get into Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and let's see just the reality of wisdom and then also the reality of 
work. And here's kind of the, the giveaway. Here's what I hope that we will see, that wisdom and work are actually joy when our goal is to please God, not prosper self. That's going to be where we're going. That's where Solomon's going to get us to, but it's going to take a while to get there. So for us, you can have wisdom and you can have good work that brings actual joy to your life, but it has to be you're doing those things to please God, not just prosper yourself. If you're trying to be wise and work hard to prosper yourself only, it will not work. Just listen to Solomon. But if you use your brain and your hands to please God, then you actually see that wisdom and work can be gifts that you actually enjoy for the glory of Christ. So let's read where Solomon is going to take us to, and then it's going to take some rabbit trails to get there. So if you'd stand out of reverence for the word of God, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, the words will be on the screen. Verse 24 says this, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Father, we pray that you would help us to see both our work and our wisdom connected to you, because connected to you, it can be joy. But God, when we disconnect it from you and we just try to prosper ourselves, it leads to sorrow and vexation. So let us Seek with our minds and our hands how to please you. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So what we're going to do before we get to what we're going to call a burst of light. Like I I think these verses are a burst of light. It's like, oh, we can have joy. We, We can have some pleasure in life because he's kind of been leading us down this trail to say everything's vanity. Um, everything is worthless. Just go home and do your thing because you can't get any joy out of life. And now he's kind of given us this little burst of light under the sun that, hey, you can actually have enjoyment in your work and in your labors. It's connecting it back to God, seeing it as a gift from him, from his hands. That's how you get enjoyment from the things you're going to do tomorrow and all through your work week. But it's going to take a little bit to get there. He's actually going to go to an experiment to see, first of all, does it work to just pursue wisdom and work apart from the Lord. If we, if we say, eh, we're not going to look at the Lord, we're going to look below the sun, can we find joy in our work if we disconnect it from God and our wisdom disconnected from God? So let's go back to chapter 1. We left out these verses last week because he went through pleasure first. Now he's going to go through wisdom and work. So let's go to uh, chapter 1, verse 16. Here's what it says. I said in my heart, I've acquired great Wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceived this also is but striving after wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow." So he's saying, I'm going to seek out through wisdom, I'm going to seek out both wisdom and like madness and folly. I'm going to pursue both. I'm going to pursue what it looks to be wise. I'm going to pursue what it looks to be a fool because I want to see, is this something that we can gain under the sun? Is there any good in it? 
So we need to see, first of all, is we have a really wise man who is doing this. So, for instance, just think about what the Bible tells us about King Solomon. So 1 Kings chapter 3 says this, God asks, what can I give you? So we see in the life of Solomon, when he becomes king, God comes to him and says, hey, Solomon, what would you like for me to give you? Now imagine if God came to you and said, hey, just, just notice you walking around down there. Um, do you have any requests? I would just love to just give you something. Just name it. Anything you want, I'll give to you. What would you ask God for? I mean, if God asked you that question, hey, what, would, what do you want? I mean, I'm just like, here, I'm going to give you whatever you wish for. Whatever you want, just request it and I'll give it to you. That's Solomon. He had this question from God, this moment where he could ask whatever he wanted. And notice what Solomon says in verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. So Solomon asked God a good thing. Uh, God, can I just have wisdom? I mean, that's a pretty smart thing to ask for, right? Like, you already had quite a bit of wisdom if you're asking God for wisdom, Because he knows he's the king, he knows he's going to govern this people, he knows he's got to make decisions, and he wants wisdom from God. And I think what we find is, in Solomon's life, he used his wisdom from God in good ways. We can read in his younger years that that he started out well. Um, He wrote Proverbs, which has a lot of wisdom from God. But then we can also read his story and know that he took that wisdom and he disconnected it from God. And he started living his life however he wanted. He gave himself to all sorts of idols. He walked away from the Lord. And I think Ecclesiastes is written as Solomon, an old man in his rocking chair, looking back at those moments of his life when he took his wisdom and disconnected it from God and tried to get life under the sun. Let's just take God out and let's just have, let's have fun, Solomon. We already saw his quest with pleasure last week. Let's just get all that we can. Let's get the whole world. But when he got the whole world, the whole world was actually empty. So now he's going to try to, what if we just knew enough? What if we got smart enough? What if we became wise? So he's taking his wisdom, and it's important, that phrase, under the sun, he's disconnecting it from God. So you have the, rich, the, the richest guy and the smartest guy, and he basically concludes this. Verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. He says, the more you know, the more sorrow you will have. I mean, it's like, great, right? Hey, the more you know, the more you're probably going to realize everything's broken. I mean, I want you to go back to when you were a kid. Do you remember when you were like a little boy or a little girl and you knew almost, you didn't know, you didn't know anything. Like, you didn't know how the world worked. You didn't know how politics worked. You didn't know, like, all the different views. You didn't know hardly anything. All you knew is, like, what your parents told you, and you just smiled a lot and ran outside, and life was pretty good, right? Like, it was just kind of happy everywhere, like, I'm just kind of like marshmallows, and this is great. And then all of a sudden, you began to grow, and you went to school, and you got knowledge, and you figured out the world, and you started reading things and seeing perspectives, and you gained all this understanding, but it actually led you not to a happier place. It led you to sorrow. Like, how many of us would want to go back to that little boy or little girl who didn't know anything? Yeah, it's like, man, wouldn't that be great just to see life 
optimistic that everything was great and everybody is great and the whole world is great. It's all like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Like, this is just awesome. We all share together. And then you get out and you start meeting people and reading things. You're like, whoa, we don't share at all. This is not Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. This is like, I don't know. This is a crazy world. Like The more he knew, the more sorrow he felt. The more he figured things out, the more vexation he got because he realized you can't figure it out. It's all, it's all broken. It's all disjointed. Like nothing actually, and I think what he's seeing is the effects of the fall, the effects of this side of Eden, things are actually broken. And the more you find out, the more you try to figure things out, the more you get the, the pieces of the puzzle, they're broken and they don't really fit together anymore. And you're trying to build things, but we've lost the, the box. We've lost the picture that says this is what the pieces are supposed to be. And we're just trying to figure out life, but, but it makes no sense. That's Solomon. The more I know, the more sorrow I feel. And you know, you think about just us and our relationship with wisdom and knowledge. I mean, Solomon was a wise guy, but he didn't have Google. I mean, think about it. We have Google. Like, at our fingertips, we can ask any question at any time and get an answer to it. Like, in some ways, we have more wisdom and knowledge than Solomon. We have all the answers we could ever want at our fingertips, yet we are in the Google effect is what people will call it. The Google effect means basically because we have so much information at our fingertips, we're actually dumber because we don't have to know things. We don't have to remember things. We don't have to study things. We don't have to deeply know how math works because you have a calculator on your phone. Like, it's there. Like, kids, why are you doing this? Telling you when you get out of school. You're, no, don't tell your kids that. Have them do long division. I don't know why, but have them do it. Right? We have all this information. It's everywhere. You just put in a word, and you know where it is. And so we have this, like, all-knowing Google, which, by the way, if you ask Google, like, if you Google, what is Google's IQ? It's, it's kind of fun. Like you can Google Google's IQ and you will see that Google's IQ is 47. Which some of those of you who don't have a high IQ, you're like, what is that? Well, it means that basically below a six-year-old. So Google collectively, like all the information, people say like, okay, what is it actually producing as far as like real world knowledge? It's about like asking a five and a half year old. So the next time you Google something, just go to your five-year-old and be like, hey, do you know this? And they're probably going to have about as much true knowledge as Google does. But it's like our, our, our source. It's our source for all of our knowledge, all that we need to know. And yet I don't know that we are becoming smarter we have a lot of information, but it's not leading necessarily to transformation. That's what Solomon saw. The more information I had, it didn't solve my world. And I just want to talk for a moment about sort of wisdom outside of Eden. Because when we step outside the garden, we have wisdom at man's disposal apart from God. Like we wanted, right, the knowledge of good and evil. We wanted knowledge apart from God. And then outside of Eden, what does it actually look like? What does wisdom turn into? Well, Paul in Romans will say this in Romans chapter 1, verse 22. It says this, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So Paul's looking at his culture and he's saying, when I look out at culture, here's what I see. I see people claiming to be wise, but what they're doing is actually foolish. 
Like they're claiming to be wise, but they've become fools. And in what ways? Not because they're not smart. It's because they're taking the glory of God. Like they're made by God to enjoy God and worship God. That's what they're created for. That's the wise thing to do. But they've become fools and they've exchanged the glory of God for images of like birds and reptiles. In other words, they make up their own gods and that's what they worship. And he says they become so smart so skilled that they can actually make gods for themselves and they can worship them. And he says, that's actually foolishness. It's not wisdom. And if you think about even our little like short history that we can remember from wisdom, we had the enlightenment, right, which led to modernity. And the good thing about modernity is you didn't have to ask the theology department anymore. You didn't have to open your Bible. You could actually understand the world just by like scientific processes, Like the scientific revolution, it opened us to, hey, we don't need God to explain how the world works. We can actually examine it on our own. We can come to our own conclusions. We can understand the whole world, what? Apart from God. We don't need the theology department. We just need the science department. We need philosophy. We need sociology. So we disconnected from God and we got modernity, our own truth, our own way. And we discovered these things apart from God. But then modernity soon led to postmodernity or postmodernism where, well, we started to understand that we can, be, we can get to truth on our own. And then we all collectively decided there actually is no such thing as truth. That truth, capital T, doesn't exist, and that actually we all have our own versions of truth. So whatever you determine is truth, that's actually true. And what I determine is truth is actually true. Even if they disagree with one another, we're we're sort of all true, and nothing is true at the same time. So even in our own like process of wisdom, we have went from, let's leave God out, let's arrive at truth. And then we got to truth, and we realized I don't even think there is such thing as truth. So how about let's just all do our own thing? And now we are living in a culture that is so past modernity, so past a connection with God and wisdom that we have have trouble answering questions that five-year-olds in previous generations would have easily answered. Things like, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be man and woman? We can't even answer those questions anymore because we've arrived at so much wisdom that we can't answer things that five-year-olds 100 years ago would have thought is very obvious. We have this slippery slope of we have became wise, but in reality, we've became fools. And it's not like Paul was just talking about Romans 1, that just Roman culture. This is every culture since Adam and Eve walked out of the garden. Every culture has pursued wisdom on their own, and we are no different. And we have exchanged the glory of God as our culture, not for images of birds and reptiles. We have exchanged the glory of God for ourselves. We have become gods. We have become the source of wisdom, truth, identity, that we can just claim whatever we want, and that makes it true. So we see this this experiment of wisdom just where it's gotten us in like real time in history. When you disconnect it from God, it doesn't lead to more wisdom. It leads to foolishness. So what is true wisdom? I think it's important as we get ready to move on. Proverbs chapter 1-7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
So Solomon, when he still had wisdom connected to God, he says, um, here's what wisdom is. Uh, the beginning of it is the fear of the Lord. That the very beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. So here's what I have to say about wisdom. That wisdom without fear is foolishness. That if you don't have fear of the Lord with your wisdom, it is going to end up being foolishness. Because what it is, you look at the world under the sun, apart from God, and you see the world through yourself. Every thought is taken captive of, okay, how do I interpret this? What do I see? What do I want? And you turn the world into how you want it to be, and that is foolishness, because there is a reality to how the world really works. And what true wisdom is, it's seeing that life is supposed to be lived above the sun, that through Christ, I can actually see the world how it really is, and that is wisdom. So wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, it will lead you to foolishness. So Solomon says, I had all the wisdom in the world, and the more I know, the more sorrow I felt. And we can see that even in our own day, in our own culture, the more wisdom we get, the more knowledge we have, it leads us often to sorrow rather than hopefulness and happiness. It doesn't fix our problems. So Solomon, in chapter 2, so we're going to go to chapter 2 now. We're going to look at verse 12. So remember, he had that um, stint of going after pleasure. Now he's going to go after wisdom. Let's look in verse 12, and he's going to ask, okay, what's the point of all this wisdom? Like, why should we pursue wisdom? What is the point of it? And verse 12 says this, So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. And there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So the first thing he says, like, who can do this who comes after me? So it's kind of like challenging anybody. If you think you can do a better job of figuring out does wisdom save you and does wisdom complete your life, I'm the wisest guy and the richest guy, so whatever you try after me, it's, it's going to pale in comparison. So just let me do the experiment and you just listen to what I conclude because you would not do better if you tried it yourself. So that's what he's kind of saying there. And then he concludes some things about wisdom. Number one, wisdom is better than folly. You're like, well, that, that makes sense, right? In other words, it's better to be wise than a fool. And he gives this illustration. It, it, it's better to walk in light than to walk in darkness. So a person who is wise, they walk in light. A person who is a fool, they walk in darkness, so it's kind of an illustration that's very easy for us to understand. Like if we turned all the lights off and made it pitch black and told you all to leave, it would be a lot harder, right? If we leave the lights on and tell you all to leave, there's going to be no issues. Because when it's dark and you can't see, it's a lot harder to navigate. That's why we have flashlights built into our phones. Just in case there's ever a moment where it's dark, you can take your phone out and you have a flashlight on it, right? And then now I can see where I'm going. Why would we have a flashlight on our phone? Because light is better than darkness. We don't like dark, we like light. And it's better to walk in light because you're not gonna bounce off of stuff. So it's a real simple conclusion. If you're wise, if you know things, if you're smart rather than a fool, then you're gonna know how to make good decisions, 
Like when you have decisions in your life, if you have good information, you're going to know to pick this and not that. You're going to know to do this and not do that. And it's actually going to help you to walk through life. You're going to have the eyes in your head, but the fool, they're, they're in darkness. So, so the idea, like number one, wisdom is better than folly. Like it's probably going to work out better if you're wise rather than a fool. This is why we try to get our kids to make good grades in school. None of us are like, a D, that's great. Just keep going. How about an F? I mean, that'd be cool too. What if you just flunked out? That'd be fun. Then you can stay at home with me. Says no parent ever, right? Like we're all like, got a B? Why don't you get an A? Hmm, no more basketball for you. Like we, we, got, we need to get the grades up. Why don't we get them the grades up? Why do we care that our kids get good grades? Because we instinctively know that well, okay, if they're wise, if they know more, they're probably going to do better in life. It's going to be like walking in light rather than walking in darkness. That's why we want our kids to, hey, why don't you go to college? College sounds good because then you'll know more and you'll have a better life. You'll be able to see things better and navigate things better. So we want our kids to be smart because we instinctively know wisdom is better than folly. Like if you're a fool, your life is not going to go well. If you make all foolish decisions, your life is not going to go well. Like that's the fabric of the universe. If you are a constant fool, life will not go well. If you're a wise person, life seems to go better. So he's looking out at his kingdom saying, okay, when I look out, the wise people seem to be getting better off. The fool people seem to not be doing so well. So let me conclude one thing. It's better to be wise than a fool. So it seems like pretty basic right now, right? Like Solomon, we don't need you to tell us this. Like that, that seems pretty reasonable. But then he's going to have some real problems with wisdom. And here's his problem with wisdom. Even though it's better, you still die. And that's a big problem. Wisdom, it might lead you to a better life, but wisdom can't save you. That's kind of his big problem. You still die. Notice what it says in uh, the end of verse 14. It says this, And yet I perceived that the same event happens to them all. Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, This is also vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no remembrance seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and a striving after wind. So here's kind of his conclusion. (laughs) Number one, um, well, number one, wisdom is better than folly. But then number two, wise people still die. And number three, wise people are all gonna be forgotten. Like, this was really troubling to Solomon. That if I can be really wise, listen to all the best podcasts, read all the best books, make all the best financial decisions, like, win at work, and I become super smart, figure all of life out, and then I have a buddy that, like, doesn't care about anything and just does whatever he wants. At the end, we both die, we're both buried, and we're both forgotten. So why am I trying so hard? Like, why am I reading books? Why not just read, like, comics? Like, that's better. Because in the end, it doesn't really matter. Like, what happens? We all just die, and we're all forgotten. And so he says, I actually hated life. So his wisdom didn't lead him to be happier. It led him to be miserable. 
which the Atlantic had an article that the title is this, Why So Many Smart People Aren't Happy. So if you're not smart, this is a good article. You're like, yeah, see, I told you. If you are smart, this is just like, oh man, this, this is not good. Here's what research basically says. Being better educated, richer, or more accomplished doesn't do much to predict whether someone will be happy. In fact, it might mean someone is less likely to be satisfied with life. So you do all this research. It's like, okay, what about smart people, educated people, people that have a lot of stuff? Are they happier? And the conclusion was it really doesn't affect their happiness. And most people who are really smart, well-educated, have a lot of stuff, they're actually the least likely to be happy. Why is that? It's the Solomon principle. Like the more you know, the more sorrow you have, the more stuff you get, the more it doesn't fulfill you. It's this endless seeking, seeking, seeking under the sun for me, but it doesn't work. It's a broken quest. And that's what he's trying to get us to see. And he's going to take that wisdom to a place that we're all very familiar with, and that is work. He's going to try to take all my wisdom, I'm going to take it into my work, and I'm going to try to, through wisdom, be really good at my job, and hopefully wisdom and work put together will do it. I will figure out life, and I will move from sorrow and hatred and vexation to, ah, now I'm joyful and happy, and I'm actually having what I consider the good life. But notice what he says about his work. Verse 18 says this, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun. So basically the end of it, he says, I'm looking at my work and I, through all of my wisdom and all of my work and all of my accomplishments, when I look at it, I'm angry. I'm upset with all that I've accomplished. Now, why would he be angry at all of his work? Why would he be angry at all of the stuff that he got from all of his work? Well, he's gonna tell us. See, we don't often think about the end, but he thought about the end a lot. He says this, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all which I told and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has told with wisdom and knowledge and skill, that's Solomon, must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. He basically says, here's the problem. When I use all my wisdom and do all my work and all my accomplishments, and I think about my legacy, I die and I have to leave it to someone else. All that I accomplished, all that I did, I've got to leave it all at my death. And here's his fear. What if the person who gets all of my stuff and companies and influence and houses and things, what if that person is a fool rather than a wise person? In other words, what if they squander it all away? All the stuff that I spent my whole life getting, what if I leave it to my kids and they just squander it all? What if the master of all of my stuff who didn't earn it, didn't work for it, didn't use their skills to acquire it, they just get it because I died. That doesn't sound fair. Seems like they should have to work for it, but instead they just get it because I died and I've got to give it to somebody. And when I give it away, I'm not sure what's going to happen to it. We've seen people with companies in our own culture that feel that same tension. The founder of Patagonia, he's older in age and 
deciding what to do with his multi-billion dollar company, he decides he's going to just give it away. He's not going to pass it down. He's not going like, to give it to his family, give it to his friends, and sell his stock. He's just going to give it away and set up a nonprofit that will fight climate change. This guy's like made it. He's got all this money, all this, and he's thinking, my company, like, I'm just going to give it to the environment. Like, surely that'll take care of it more than people can. I mean, you have the, the, the founder of Hobby Lobby, family company, family-owned, the Green family, like billions of dollar company, and he decides wealth is actually a curse, so I'm not going to give it to my kids and grandkids. I'm just going to give it away. Because I don't want them to have to deal with what I dealt with. And I don't want to put my grandkids with a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of decisions and all this stuff because I know what it did to me. And it's actually a curse. So I just want to give it away. So this isn't just Solomon being crazy. Like this is real people like in our culture that have made it and realized I've got to die. And I don't know what's going to happen next. And I'm so worried about that that I'm just going to give it away rather than have to deal with actually transferring it and thinking about the legacies that are going to leave it with and what they might do with it. And, and perhaps Solomon was thinking about when he wrote this, like his own son. Because Rehoboam is the one who takes over as king and gets all of Solomon's stuff. And if you read uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, the heading is the folly of Rehoboam. It's like, okay. Like, you pretty much know how this is going to go. And in fact, he actually lost 10 twelfths of all of Solomon's wealth. He didn't make good decisions. He wouldn't listen to wise counsel. He's listened to his buddies, made terrible decisions, and lost all of the fortune. So Solomon, like, kind of saw this coming. Like, I've made all this stuff. I'm looking at my son. I'm thinking, he's not that bright. And I got to leave it all to him. Like, God, really, is there no other way? Like, can I keep it or like manage it from somewhere like in heaven maybe? Or like just make decisions? This is not going to go well. He's going to squander it. And guess what? He did. And it's all squandered. Solomon's devil, it's broken now. House broken now. Like all the stuff that he built and did, it's been his whole life. It's all squandered. And it didn't actually last. So it gets him to ask this question, what is, the, what is the worth of our work? Verse 22 says this, What has a man from all the tool and striving of heart which he tools beneath the sun? Notice the beneath the sun language is all over this text. Like he is trying to get us to see, I'm talking about work apart from God. Under the sun, under heaven, let's take God out. Let's just try to seek wisdom and work away from God. So that's clearly his view. And what does he conclude? For all the days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even at night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. He says, I'm working myself to the bone. I can't even sleep at night because I'm so worried about my work. Does that sound familiar? NPR article says that one in three American adults admit to have trouble sleeping. Like lots have to medicate to go to sleep. Why is that? Because we can't turn it off. There's so much to do. 
There's so much left undone at the end of the day that you're still thinking about it. Man, what, I should have done that. I should have forgot to do this. Now I got to do tomorrow. Let's get the to-do list out. And we just can't turn it off because the emails, they keep rolling in. We got to keep checking them. We got to keep responding. We can't turn ourselves off because there's so much to do. And what about the to-do list tomorrow? And I've got that meeting. I've got that thing. I need to get prepared for that. I've got that, that talk. I've got all this stuff. And so we get to like the point of like the end of our day, it's time to rest. And what do we do? We just spend our whole night thinking about work the next day. Solomon says, that's my life. All I think about is work and go, go, go. And I'm seeing my boy Rehoboam. This is not going to go well. Like he's really upset. He's like, this is, what am I really gaining here? And then he says, nothing. There's nothing to be gained. I'm wise and I'm rich. I have prospered myself and I'm going to die and it's all going to be squandered. And really, at the end of the day, I hasn't gained one thing in my life. He's at this place of despair, but at the place of despair, we get this hope. And this is a beautiful hope. This is a burst of light that just comes beaming off the pages of Scripture. And I want you to just feel it because when work and wisdom, they become joy when our goal is to please God and not prosper ourselves. I want you to remember that and flip that script. That when it comes to your work and your wisdom, you're not trying to prosper yourself, you're trying to please God. And if you will please God with your wisdom and your work, you will find joy in it, not frustration, vexation, and sorrow. It will be joy for you because you've connected it back to God. So how does he tell us this? Look down at the text with me in verse 24. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. There's a language here just trying to do that. You can actually have enjoyment in your labors, in your work, those things that you're thinking about and working for. There can be enjoyment, but you have to connect them back to the hand of God, seeing that nothing is apart from God. Do you see how much different that is than life under the sun? Life under the sun says, let's take God out of the equation. Let's try to just be smart and hard workers and try to figure this thing out. He said, it's not going to work. What you have to do is see that all of your life and everything you have is from the hands of God. That nothing you do is apart from God. Know that and connect it back to God. And if you will connect your wisdom and your work to God and see that everything you have is from his hands as a gift to you, guess what? Your work tomorrow can be joy rather than frustration. Because you're not trying to please your, you're not trying to prosper yourself, you're trying to please God. And that is like one of the secrets to actually enjoying this life we have now in preparation for the kingdom to come. To seeing that all I do is about pleasing God, not just prospering self. Notice he talks about eating and drinking and find joy. We see 1 Corinthians 10, Paul would tell us, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all what for the glory of God? Like Paul knew the life filled with joy. It's whether you do mundane tasks like eating and drinking or working or playing or whatever you do, whatever you enter, do all of that for what? The glory of God. You know what we're tempted to do? To do all those things for the glory of me. That's the tension. That's Solomon under the sun. I'm doing everything to prosper me. And we need to make a switch and do everything to please God. We need to do everything for the glory of God, not the glory of self. And in doing that, we can find actually joy that lasts. Notice in verse 26, he says this, For the one who pleases, for the one who pleases him 
God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind. Notice that there are two people that Solomon mentions in those verses. Two people. There's one who pleases God and there's the sinner. Now let's think about who is this one who pleases God. Now we can know on a theological level that no one can please God. Right? It's only in Christ that we please God. But how is Solomon using that term, the one who pleases God? I think how he's using it is the one who's connecting their life to God. They're seeing that it's connected to God. All they have is from the hands of God. So it's the person that lives above the sun rather than below the sun. They are the person that pleases God. And notice, the person who pleases God, there is a gift that person gets. So there's two people. There's the one who pleases God and there's the sinner. The sinner is going to be the one who lives their life under the sun. Let's forget God. Let's just do life for ourselves. And for both of these people, they both get a gift. So we have two people and we have two gifts. Notice the first gift. The one who pleases God, it says that God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. What's Solomon trying to seek? Wisdom. What does he want? Joy. He wants pleasure. He wants life to make sense. He wants the good life. And now he's connecting it to, hey, if I would just please God, when I look at life to the one who pleases God, God graciously gives them a gift, and it is joy and wisdom and knowledge. It's a gift from the Lord that if you would spend your life pleasing God rather than prospering self, you can actually find joy in your pursuit of wisdom and using your wisdom to complete your work. You can find joy in it. But notice, there's another person. It's the the sinner. And notice it says this. He is given, this is God. What's God given the sinner? The business of gathering and collecting. The business, like the whole life. What's your whole life? Gathering and collecting. Does that sound like anybody you know? Does that sound like you? Sound like our culture? Sound like just what we do? We gather and collect. We gather and collect. It's our, it's our business. We, we get up early and work hard because we want to gather and collect and gather and collect. And the more we gather and the more we collect, the more happy we'll be. But the more we gather and the more collect and the smarter we get, the, it's kind of the opposite effect. Like the more we gather, the more we collect. Then, and God's actually said but I'm doing that so then you'll have to give it all to the one who pleases me. In other words, the meek is going to inherit the earth. Like you're going to die and it's all, the kingdom of God is going to survive past your death. So whatever you accomplish, whatever good, it's going to be left in the kingdom, not in your hands. So what you're trying to say, there's basically two ways to live life. The, The first way and the wrong way is to Live the life of the sinner, and that is under the sun, take God out of the equation, and here's your life. It's about gathering and collecting. It's about prospering yourself. That's the whole goal. Your wisdom and your work, your brain and your hands, you're doing everything you can to prosper yourself. And Solomon says, hey, I got there and I had more than you're ever going to have, and guess what? At the end of it, it was all empty. So don't try that. But there is a second way to live, and it's to live a life that pleases God. 
It's the life above the sun. It's a life connecting your life to the glory of God, seeing that you are a creature under him and that he's given you a brain to pursue him and to pursue knowledge through him. And he's given you hands to work and do good things under him and for him and to the good of your neighbors. You can actually use your work to glorify him and serve others. And there it all has meaning. That if you disconnect God from the picture, nothing has meaning. If you bring God into the picture and you live your life under him, a life to please him, everything has meaning. And in that, there is joy. See, Solomon is trying to say, both your wisdom and your work can bring joy in your life if you use it to please God, not just prosper yourself. So that brings us to the obvious question. How are you living your life? How are you using your brain and your hands? What's your pursuit of knowledge and what's your pursuit of work? Is it to prosper yourself, to make yourself great, to make yourself happy, to fix all of your problems? Is it the business of gathering and collecting? He's trying to say, hey, if you get it all, you're going to die. You're not going to have anything. So just if you choose that route, it's going to be empty in the end. Or are you living your life to please God. And pleasing God is sometimes a prosperous life. He might prosper you beyond imagination as you please God, but he might not also. You might be a millionaire or a one dollar heir, but you are pleasing God and you're using his stuff for his glory and the good of your neighbor. And your goal is to please God, not prosper yourself. And if you will do that, you will find joy in all the mundane tasks. Even eating and drinking, you'll have joy. You will go to bed at night and sleep because you're not worried about your gathering and collecting the next day. You're just sitting and resting in the presence of King Jesus. You are satisfied in him and you are living your life to please him. So which life are you living for? Are you gathering, collecting, or are you trying to please the Lord in everything you do? Because one is empty and one is full. In order to do this, you have to have Christ. Like he is the way that we get above the sun. As he says in Luke, there is someone greater than Solomon who is here. And guess who the, he, it's him. It's Jesus. He is here. He is the greater wisdom of Solomon. In fact, he is our wisdom from God. And it's through him and in him that we can have wisdom that is true and work that truly matters. So how are you living your life? Is it above the sun in the person of King Jesus, so that all of your wisdom and all of your work, it's, 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 you're trying to, you're pleasing the Lord. You're saying, Lord, I want you to be glorified. I want your kingdom to go forth. I want my life, my brain, my hands, everything to be for you. And, and Solomon says, if you will live like that, then you will actually have a full, meaningful life. But if you disconnect your life from God, if you live your life outside of King Jesus, and you will use your own wisdom and your own work to try to gather and collect enough stuff so that you will matter. And Solomon says, when you get it all, it won't matter. It will all be empty. See, the truth of the whole book is everything is meaningless apart from Christ. But in Christ, everything is meaningful. Your wisdom and your work. Under the sun, it's not going to last. But if you'll connect to Jesus above the sun, 
it will last forever. So here is your challenge. This week, take your wisdom and take your work and use it not to prosper yourself. Use it to please God. And if you'll do that, you'll find joy rather than sorrow in everything that you do. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. God, we thank you for your word and your wisdom. God, I pray that we would lean into this. I pray that we would be the people that truly try to please you and not just prosper ourselves and that you would get glory out of our lives. Father, we pray all this in the good name of Jesus. Amen. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org.